You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Tested. This series explores the book of 1 Peter to learn how we can respond when our faith is tested. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Morning. I want to welcome you guys, uh, not only here in the city, but our other locations at the lake and at Washington. So glad to have you with you. Uh, we are in the home stretch with First Peter uh, 5, our series tested. And, and the big idea of Peter, which is really the kind of the big idea of life in general, is that uh, that we we sin, that we went, we erred in our ways, and God is saving us. God has saved us uh, through His Son Jesus Christ, and He and as He saves us, and as we pursue Jesus, what He does is He builds us tighter and tighter into communities called local churches. So as we grow closer to Jesus, we simultaneously grow closer to others. And we're not just to be, the big idea isn't that we're just to be some social club where we come together once a week and get some religious fix, but we are to leverage all that we have and all that we are uh, and all that we want uh, for the good of those around us, for the world around us. And so we're to lay down our lives in sacrificial love and service to see that people who are outside of this community become a part of this community. We are to uh, to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness uh, into his marvelous light. For we were once not a people, but now we have been made his people. Now you would think that a community like ours that uh, are meant to be uh, laying down their lives to serve those around us, dedicated to those around us. The church is the only organization in the world whose primary benefit is for non-members, not members. You'd think that kind of community would be like, well done, red carpet, come and... But it's not that way, is it? Um, our experience and the experience in the New Testament... Uh, those believers there is that it wasn't embraced. In fact, there's a lot of hostility uh, toward uh, this message. Um, The call is to lay down our lives nonetheless, but people are thanks, but no thanks. They they think maybe this message is a bit naive, um, foolish, if not destructive. Reminds me of Romans that says, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but those of us who are being saved, it's the power of of God. Now, this would be this call that God has called us to you made it, you know, for the church seems like an impossible task, and it would be an impossible task, except that God, His Holy Spirit, is calling people to Himself. He's He's tapping them on the shoulder, and that happened to all of all of one. No, none of us seek God. There's no one who seeks God. There's no one who says, "Hey, I want to be a Christian." But one day, God tapped our hearts. God tapped your heart and said, "Hey, I want you." And we we felt this call to Him. And he's calling people like that. Now, it would be awesome if he would just say, you know, would tell us who these people are so we can just call them on the phone. Say, hey, we, you know, God's calling you. We're calling you too, so come. But it doesn't work that way. We don't know who it is. And so we're called just to indiscriminately uh, share the gospel with our mouths and with our lives and to lay down our lives and serve them to, in a context where people are hostile to it. And this is the point of First Peter so far. And then when the chapter 5 rolls around, he says, so... Or therefore, to so in light of in light of this situation, in light of this is what God is doing and what He's wanting to do in and through you, in light of this hostile situation, He says, "I exhort the elders among you. You guys are really going to have to lead. The sheep are confused. The sheep are, are wondering what to do. There's hostility. There's uh, there's all these kinds of things happening. There's enemies outside the church. There's enemies inside the church. You're really going to have to lead and guide. And so the question that um, Peter's encouraging us to ask, which we, I ask myself all the time, uh, we as elders gather together to ask, okay, how do we do this? 
How do we shepherd the flock that God has given us, the members of this church? There's a, in all of our four locations, there's about, about five, 550 members in the church, those who say, yes, I'm in this. And then there, there's the flock that God has given us, but there's also the flock that God is giving us. Not everybody in this room is a member. Not everybody who's listening in is a member. There's probably another 400 people outside the membership that, are, that is like on the doorstep of becoming part of us. So in all in all, the flock that God has given us, has given us and is giving us is about 950 people. But it's not just that, it's the flock that God will give us. Because remember, you and I aren't in this for us. We're in this for the neighborhoods and the cities and the communities around us. So it's the, how do we shepherd the flock that God has given us, is giving us, will give us? We think about that all the time. That's one of the things that Peter's going to exhort us to do, which we'll talk about. But let me take a step back and say, okay, what are, what are elders? What are elders? Well, we get this from this passage as well as many other passages that elders are the governmental authority in a church. They're not the ultimate authority in a church. That is the responsibility of Jesus and Jesus alone. Colossians, Colossians 1 declares that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the real senior pastor of Jubilee. He's the chief shepherd. But what he does is he calls under shepherds. Those, they're not, we're not, there's only one shepherd, but he calls under shepherds to mimic his sacrificial, laying down your life, leadership style to, to lead just as he leads. It's a delegated authority that he gives. It's an awesome responsibility, a sobering responsibility for me because, because there's going to be passages like Jesus is going to say something like, hey, if you cause any one of these to stumble, you leaders, if you cause any one of these to stumble, it would be better for you if you, someone tied a rope around your neck connected it to a very, very heavy stone and threw you and the stone in the sea. Jesus, gentle Jesus. It's very scary, Jesus. Um, But he takes the leading of his sheep very, very seriously. The New Testament says that leaders and teachers and elders, those types, are held to a stricter judgment. This isn't a casual, oh, I think I may want to be a pastor someday. This is a very sobering call that he holds elders to. And so, and maybe you're part of a situation where, man, that leader just seemed to do whatever he wants. I'm telling you, nobody gets away with anything. You will reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. So under shepherds, elders are under shepherds. They're meant to be godly men who lead with the same sacrificial leadership style of Jesus. If you want to read more about these character qualities, which you can read about it in 1 Timothy 3, Titus uh, 2, and so forth. But we're going to focus on what Peter has to say. And one of the first things he talks about when he talks about elders, he says, so I exhort the elders. The New Testament always speaks of elders in the plural form, meaning there's always meant to be more than one. That elders are meant to be a team of, of men. There is no Protestant pope. There is no guy who stands on some perch and, you know, bar, you know, he's not this person who's other, who's separate. 
But they're meant to work in team because, and it makes total sense because the Godhead, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, working together in perfect team, perfectly loving, loving each other, perfectly honoring one another, distinct in their roles, but equal, working together in this community. And this community is meant to spill out on creation. And so that's, and so what he wants in his, in the leaders of the church, because he ultimately wants us in the DNA of the church, he wants the elders of the church to work together in a team. Not some lone ranger, but a group of guys that have complementary gifts and their relationship and their style and they're humble in their heart and they're working together as a team to bring leadership to a church in helping other churches. Um, and I have the privilege of helping other churches, existing churches, and ones that are going to get started. One of my responsibilities is helping to set in elders. And one of the things I, we never do is we never set in one singular elder by himself. We always set at least two, ideally three, because it's meant to be in team. And notice here it says, he exhorts the elders among you. Elders are meant to be amongst, not separate from, but amongst. They're meant to live like the sheep live. They're meant to smell like the sheep smell. They're meant to not have a special parking spot. Uh, they're, they're, they are unique in their role and function, just like we're all unique in our role and function. We're first members, and secondly, elders. We are in it just like everyone else. And so I realize that in modern-day American church, you know, you know, it's like a profession, uh, being a, a pastor, being an elder. And, you know, I know the routine is like, you know, you, 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 know, you, get, you get educated, you get it just like anything else. Um, you know, you put your application on monster.com and you find a flock here and a flock there and a flock there. But that's not biblically. What happens is, is that elders live amongst the membership of the church. And as the, as the members mature, from among, from among... They sprout out. God puts his hand, his grace, and his gifts on certain men. And from amongst, they come out and they, they lead and shepherd their people. It's a calling, not a career. So what do they do? Well, it says that they shepherd the flock of God, exercising Oversight. Now, when you read through biblically, I put them under three headings. That elder, what, what it means to shepherd, what it means to, to provide oversight, it means guarding, it means guiding, and it means governing. Just like a shepherd is to guard the flock against wolves and thieves and all other kinds of things, even at the risk of his own life, so is the shepherd of God's church, an elder in God's church, meant to stand guard against anything that would threaten the church. Paul says this in Acts 20. He says, pay careful attention. So this is, yeah, again, Paul writing to elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We won't get into this, but just to know that the, it's God himself who appoints elders. Men don't appoint elders. Men can only recognize the grace that is on someone. That's why when elders are placed in a church, there's this corporate echo where everyone's like, of course, he's been doing it already. He's been loving and sacrificing for us already. Of course he should be an elder. So we don't, it's, it's God who places leaders in a church. We just need to recognize what God is doing. 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is very special to the heart of God. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, so not just people from the outside coming into the church, but even amongst you as elders, there's negative things that could happen, threatening things that can happen to draw the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Meaning like I had to bring correction, I had to, I had to bring rebuke. And it was this great tension because I, I, I had to bring correction to the people I loved. And I was just in tears over it, devastated over it. So firstly, what do elders do? They guard, but they, firstly, they guard themselves. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves. The primary, one of the primary functions of the elder in guarding is to first guard himself and to guard one another. What does that mean? Well, we guard our life and we guard our doctrine. That's why we work together again in team for mutual accountability, accountability amongst ourselves, asking each other tough questions. Wives are a part of that. And even guys outside of us, other elders and friends and pastors, and our New Frontiers family coming in and providing accountability. And uh, so guys are asking me all the time, you know, how you do, how you doing really? And if they're really wanting to help me, they ask my wife how I'm doing. Because she'll tell you the truth for sure. Again, when I invite guys in from the outside, you know, you hear them speak and it's nice and a blessing. But they're coming in and they're... I'm inviting them to poke around in the church. Hey, is it you stayed in my house? You were in my church. Is there anything that you see that you saw that was a, a, a concern of yours? And of course, they're always, hey, you know, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's great. Okay, I typed out a four-page paper and said, please specifically tell me if you saw any of this or any of that that causes you any concern. Because this isn't just about, I mean, hey, I want to do that for myself. I hope that you're, you have yourself in that level of accountability too. But I want to do that for, because it's not just about me. Because I realize in, in guarding you, I have to guard myself. I mean, how many sheep have been scattered because a shepherd, either in their life or in their doctrine, went sideways? The biggest subgroup in the Christian world in America, is not those who go to church. It's not those who are unchurched. It's those who are dechurched. It was those who were once upon a time were part of a community of faith, but it is not ending up to be happily ever after for them. So we guard ourselves first. We guard the truth. It's through preaching and teaching, holding up what is the word of God, holding up what is truth. Not avoiding difficult topics, not overly inserting our opinion, but preaching what the Bible says um, and putting it in front of us and saying, this is the truth, this is what we stand underneath. So we do that proactively, we also do it reactively as we see error occur. So we guard the truth, and thirdly, we we guard the actual flock, we guard you. And this is a huge part of an elder's job, care, protection. Uh, there are obvious situations where we need to protect from potential danger. I mean, a couple of years ago, um, and we, we don't like broadcast this per se, and it, it doesn't happen a whole lot, but it happens. We had a guy here a couple of years ago who um, was essentially praying on our young women, an older guy, praying on our young women. 
and we, we, we talked to this guy. We said, hey, we tried to reason with him, like, don't do, you know, they, you don't, it's not helping you, it's not, they don't like it, you know, we need you to stop doing this. And uh, we, we limited, well, okay, well, okay, you can't do this, these things anymore. You can only do this. And we tried to like, okay, then we, okay, we're going to assign an elder to you. You don't go anywhere. That they, you know, we're just trying to implore this person to stop doing this. Ultimately, he wouldn't stop. And I think with great tension because we want everyone to experience the grace of the gospel. Um. We're all, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. There are no good people and bad people. But if, so it was a great, with tears, with tension, you have to leave. To protect the flock, you have to leave. It's not a glamorous part of the job. It's not a, um, a particular popular part of our job. But it, it's our job then there are less obvious situations that I think are more insidious and dangerous. And that is when sin creeps in through the back door. Gossip gets into the church. Division, divisive language, manipulative behavior. Both intentional or unintentional. Um, you know, I can't believe what he did. I can't believe what she said. That stuff is... So, so there are seven things that God hates. There, there are seven things that God finds abominable. And one of those things, this is a good list to know, by the way. If you don't know this list, I would find out. Check it once and check it twice. One of those things is, is a brother who stirs up dissension among other brothers or sister among sisters. We're on our guard against that. Titus straight up says, warn a divisive person once, second time, remove them. Guys who seek positions of power with wrong motives. People get duped into believing lies. People get duped into sexual immorality and, and overly comfortable with sin. Hey, if anyone here among us who has not sinned um, is either just born or a liar. And so um, we all sin. It's not sinning that it's, 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 it's living as though you don't sin, which means you don't repent. Like, oh, yes, I, that is a sin. I need to repent from that. It's just saying sin is okay. Elders are, kind, are called to guard against this kind of flock. How we do that? Well, preaching and teaching for sure. Um, to leave little room for wolves and, and wrong thinking to operate. Again, holding up the truth like we are now. Um, process for new membership, knowing the members. Um, you know, the good shepherd knows the sheep. Good under shepherds know the sheep. Stressing one another and accountability through community groups. Saying, hey, we all have a responsibility for each other. You and I are connected to each other. We need to look after each other. We need to sharpen each other. We need to spur each other on to loving good deeds. That is a huge part of it. And then sadly, through direct confrontation. Sometimes it gets to the point to where it's like, okay, we have to confront this. Again, unpopular. Misunderstood. Um, but must do it nonetheless. So we, we protect. We guard. We also guide. We direct, we lead. A, a shepherd leads his flock, guides the flock to where it needs to go. This means casting vision. This means setting the course. It means monitoring progress. It means leading. It means those practical leadership things. The mission of God is super clear. I mean, it's, it just, I mean just Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples. 
uh, of all nations. So this thing that's happening here this morning where we're coming together and people are learning about the gospel, they're coming to faith, they're being baptized into that faith, and they're getting into community, that is meant to happen in, uh, with every tribe, every tongue. That, that, that is super clear, non-negotiable, very direct, very rigid. The mission that we're to be about is that. How that happens? Flexible. Unclear. Not a lot of input on how to do it. There's reasons for that. I mean, um, different contexts in Africa than here, than Eastern Europe, than Western Europe. Uh, plus just different, you know, just over the different centuries. I mean, just like there probably wasn't a whole lot of online given, giving in like 1000 AD, would be my guess. And uh, I mean, there are less obvious things. So basically, so the mission of God is super clear, super rigid, unflexible. Uh, but when it comes to how you do that, God gives us wisdom and tools, but not like, hey, this is how it plays out. So you can do God's mission in one location, or you can do it in multiple locations. You can have one-hour service, or you can have two-hour service. You can have formal or informal. You can have live preaching or video preaching. You can meet on Sunday night or Sunday morning or Saturday night or Sunday morning or any other day of the week. You can play an electric guitar. You can play an acoustic guitar. You can have small groups. You can run adult classes in and on and on and on and on and on. And on it goes. It's all flexible because it's just scaffolding. It's not the building itself. You know what scaffolding is, right? It's a little stuff around the building as it helps them build the building up stronger and taller and higher. But it's not the building itself. You and I are the building. You and I. You, I need to be connected to you. You need to be connected to me. And we need to be connected to we. That's the building. That's the thing that we need to hold on to. The scaffolding, open hand. It's not the building. Worship style, not the building. Uh, mode of discipleship, not the building. You and I, the building. The Word of God, eternal. You and I, eternal. Methods, worship style, pews, chairs, whatever. Well, I mean, physical, you know, I gave you the idea. Not the real building. Scaffolding is great as long as it helps us do what Jesus has asked us to do. The elders, okay, so, what, so we're just playing the elders. Elders are meant to like decide, okay, how are we going to do this? What does this look like for us in this context, in this culture? One of the things that the elders feel is key for a fast-paced, almost ADD culture is a very simple, stripped-down church calendar that emphasizes relationships over programs. Well, there are churches all around us that are very programmatic. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that's sinful or wrong. In fact, like I said, the Bible opens up lots of flexibility on how you do this. But in a program type deal, you've got a, a, a program for kids, a program for high school kids, a program for uh, college students, and that's not enough because you have something for, you know, uh, young adults, you have something for uh, older adults, uh, sing, uh, uh, excuse me, younger singles, older singles, you know, singles who like to read, singles who like to go outside because God only knows that you can't put single, all single people in one room or that'll be a problem. Uh, so you got to divide it out into different, very different, you know, singles who are 52, singles who are 52 and a half. You got to like get it exactly just right or there's going to be some problems. And so, but on top of that, you just don't have that. You, you know, you've got the, you know, the, the newly married group, the not married group, the never again married group, and just like all this 
men's ministries, women's ministries, and all their, you know, services and small groups and retreat systems. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong. In fact, you know, if we had time to talk, maybe some of you here have been powerfully, powerfully uh, had an encounter with God through these things. But we're just not that church. The center activity aren't the programs we run, it's the relationships that we have. And the reason why is because as the elders seek God, okay, how do we guide this church in this 21st century, in this context, in this fast pace? We don't feel in order to reach hyper-individualistic, consumeristic, 60-hour work-weeking families who have 18 different soccer leagues they have to attend to, what they really need are a whole other list of programs to go to even though that's what they want. Because you and I, here's, here's how you and I are wired. You and I are wired to be like, I know what my problem is. I know where I need to grow. And that's it, but it's not that. And let me just humbly, humbly say that the thing that's going to cause you the most growth in your life are not the problems that you're aware of. Because the things that you think you need to grow in are probably areas of strength for you, would be my guess. The area where you'll experience the most growth, growth aren't the areas that you are, the problems that you're aware of. It's the problems that you're not aware of. It's what's in your blind spot. And what you need is not a smorgasbord of things to pick and choose. What you need is a hub of relationships all around you. The more diverse, the better who love you, who have in the center, not a preference, not a program, not a philosophy of life, uh, not a political party, but have at the center Jesus and Jesus alone, where everybody in the group is saying Jesus is number one, not my preference. And in that context, beautiful things can happen. Because what happens? If you get a diverse group of people who are submitted to God, submitted to the Holy Spirit, God with all of our different backgrounds, in his wisdom, brings us together with all of our different groups, and we minister to each other in a hundred, if not a thousand different ways, because we are very unique, and we could not list out a number of programs that would actually scratch exactly where you're itching, because the reality is, you don't even know where you itch, you need people around you to tell you where you itch, so that they can scratch that itch. Figuratively. Discipleship and maturity is more than a class. It's more than a box to check. It's dynamic and holistic. Um, and the tension for us is, I mean, it'd just be so much easier to roll out these things. I mean, relationships are hard. They're difficult. Um, it's a rockier path. It's a longer path. But it's by far and away the most rewarding path. So you could pray for us, because we're constantly discerning the best way. But that's, I mean... We're committed to seeing that in our context. So that's guiding. Then there's governing. Governing includes directing the affairs of the church. This means some practical things. It means it does mean it means recognizing leaders. It means settling conflict and disputes. It means weighing in on theological and practical issues. And this isn't another again. This isn't a popular thing, but it also means calling it in the gray. Um, there are gray things in our church life together and maybe even in your life specifically that the Bible doesn't have like a verse for it. It's just a gray area that in governing the church, 
both corporately and for your individual lives, elders are meant to govern in that gray. Um, they're here to love and to serve in that issue. So um, the area, so now, so we want, so biblically what that looks like is if there's something in your life where you need direction, uh, we have each other, we, there's wisdom in one another, but sometimes there's wisdom in coming to an elder and saying, hey, I need, I need you to call this for me. And we're, we're called to lead in that gray. Um, and we'll never lead anyone beyond their conscience. If your conscience is leading you to do something, uh, God gave you that conscience. And I mean, we want to shape it with the Bible. We want to shape it with Scripture. But we would never push anybody beyond their conscience unless it was an, an issue of sin or like a clear, direct, black and white command in Scripture. But there are this gray area. And the Bible is going to say, um, give your elders um, double weight which means that give their, give their opinion a little bit more than you would give your own. They're called there to, to govern in the gray, which is so important to get. I mean, this all breaks down if you don't have the right guys leading. Um, that's why we, the process is slow, and it's, it's meticulous, and it's particular, and it's, it's all those things. Because, I mean, they're easy, elders are easy to appoint, but they're hard to get rid of, and that's a good thing. So we need the right guys in there. That's why the, uh, we have to follow our life and doctrine because God's going to call us to lead in those areas. And it's for our good. Okay, thirdly, how they do it. Well, they do it eagerly, it says. It says, to shepherd the flock of God, not under compulsion, but willingly and eagerly. It's because they want to. So the primary motivation is because they love people and they want to serve the people. They want to lay down their life for their people. I mean, just imagine like if, you know, with my relationship with my wife, you know, if we had like date night scheduled and, and I get to that day like, oh my gosh, it's Thursday. <sighs> okay, Rachel, what do you want to do? I get dinner and a movie. Okay, let's go to dinner and a movie. If we got to go to dinner, we'll go on our date. Just had this kind of obligation attitude toward taking my wife on a date, not seeking to like, they eagerly want to do that, to want to be with her, to want to have some alone time with her. It would uh, get old really quickly for me and it would get even older for her more quickly. She would not feel loved. She would not feel delighted in. And in the same context, elders are meant to like, ah, oh, okay, I got to leave. I got to do, you know, I got to do, I got to preach another sermon. I got to, I got to counsel another person. I got to da, 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 all this stuff. No, it's, it needs to be a delight. It not needs to be under compulsion, not this guilt-driven thing, but just, I, I want to do this because the, God, God's going to call elders. He's going to call the shepherd of his people to lay down their lives, to lay down their preferences, to lay down their ambitions, to lay down their wants and dreams, and to and to lay down their life for the sheep. To eagerly desire, to want to, to, want to do these things. And that's why the Bible's going to say, like, like in Hebrews 13, like, don't beat these men down. I mean, you, you have your questions, but don't be questioning. Um, um, you may have a point, but you may not have a viewpoint. And, like, don't make it difficult for them to lead you. It's not to your advantage. Don't create all the sideways energy in the church. Because you want them to not only, they're only not only doing this to love you, 
but you want them to want to do this. It's for your good. Now, I'm super excited to say, like, man, I, 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 think, one of the re- I, I think the elders in this church do have a delight in loving and serving this church. And part of the reason is, is because I think you guys make it a delight. I think you guys make it easy. I think you guys, you guys are a delight to serve. You, make it e- you guys make it very, very easy. to. This is an amazing church. I'm super privileged to do this. All my other friends are jealous of me, and I love it. And so, um, that slipped. Um, So the motivation, (laughs) okay, the motivation is to please God and to love people. It's not for shameful gain. That's obviously money. That's obviously money. Like, whether you get paid as an elder or not, most of our elders are not paid. It's not for, it's not to, to make money. I know there's a lot, I mean, it's an enterprise for a lot of guys, for some guys, I should say, not a lot of guys, but they just get the most press. But there are some guys who make a lot of noise, that they make it an enterprise, and that is not the motivation. But it's not even just monetary, it's, it's, it's doing it for the sense of, of self. I mean, eldership is a calling. It's not a, I get nervous about guys who stand on the outside of ministry, I mean, barely have done any at all, and say, oh, you know, I think one day I want to be a pastor, you know, it, you know, it's an inside job, you know, you don't have to go outdoors in the sun, and you get to read and give your opinion, yeah, I think I'm, a, that seems like a, something I'd like to do, all right, I just, I just feel like I just, I love reading the Bible, I love, I love preaching, I love doing this, and I love doing that, and I, I feel like I get, I get a lot of, I get a lot of uh, satisfaction when I lead in this way, yeah, I've noticed that you didn't say anything about people, it was all about you and you and you and you and you and what fulfills you and what satisfies you and what, what you want to do. It has nothing to do with the people. Be very wary of those guys. I'm very wary of those guys for you. Shameful gain. You don't get called to position as much as you get called to a people. They're sheep and you're their shepherd. You don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to pick and choose what I want to do. It's just... so. You know, when you're a shepherd, you just do whatever the sheep need. Sometimes they run away. You've got to pick them up and carry them back. You've got you to do all kinds. It's, just, it's a lot like parenting. I mean, when I signed up to be a parent, when I signed up to have kids, I didn't sign up to, like, parent in the things I want to do. I also signed up to clean up puke at 2 in the morning. I signed up to stand over them as they eat their vegetables. I sign to encourage them and cultivate them in what God's called them to be and not just the things that I value. I'm called to be their parent. I'm called to... I'm not called to be a parent in a vacuum. I'm called to specifically parent Ella, Simon, and Josie. And what those three kids need is what I do. An elder, no difference called from amongst a group of people and whatever that group of people need that's what i do that's what they do and the needs have changed it's changed over time used to be first started leading 100 people a lot different one place one service seven eight hundred people multiple different ways of leading different needs different challenges different opportunities if I loved one kind of leading, I'd get stuck. We'd get stuck. Because I'd be overly attached to what I want to do versus what I need to do. It's not a career, it's a calling. 
called to lay down my life so it, if, if, if need be. Not domineering. It's another thing. We're not domineering, but examples. We don't give orders. We give examples. The elder, the call is not to power and authority. It's to death, sacrifice, and servanthood, even slavery. It says that in, in Matthew 20, verse, in verses 25 to 20, you know, the disciples come up and say, hey, I want to be a pastor. I want to teach. I want to do this. And he says, okay. Jesus called to him and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And then he says, this is not the way it is with you. The way it works outside the community of faith is people aspire to position. That's not what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. Whoever would be great must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If he is not willing to sacrifice for you, he has no business leading you. If he's not willing to give himself so you may grow, then don't trust him. His aspirations must be unto death, unto sacrifice, unto servanthood, unto slavery, not under power, you know, prestige and position. A brother who wants to be elder in, in that way needs to be squeezed out of the process. And in this context, he is squeezed out of the process. There are a lot of things that we'll, we'll budge on. They're, they're gifting, they're whatever, but we will not budge on this. Jesus is very clear in John 10 says, I am, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. The hired hand who's just in it for what he can get out of it. He is not the good shepherd. When the wolf comes, he leaves because the costs outweigh the benefit. I am the good shepherd. I stay even when the costs outweigh the benefit. Here's the thing for you and I. The cost most certainly will outweigh the perceived benefit in the here and now. I mean, Jesus flat out says, as a community of faith, the church, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. The, the, the issue isn't whether or not I will lay down my life. It's when and how often I will lay down my life. Because we're sent amongst a hostile environment. The call for the Christian is to come pick up your cross and die. And the sheep need a shepherd who is an example to that, not a life that's in stark contrast to that. It's a huge, big, big deal. Finally, what's your part? Likewise, you who are younger, that just means everybody else essentially, those who are younger in the faith spiritually, be subject to the elders. And that's convenient. That that's there for me. Um, <laughs> so how did you end your talk on eldership? Well, I mentioned the verse that says that everyone should be subject to me. Um... Let me share a few thoughts on that. You know how many times as a pastor that I've pointed to a verse like that? What's the universal sign for zero? Now I say that to my shame and not my credit. Because all the scripture is profitable and helpful to you. And just because of my own awkwardness and insecurity to say things like that, 
thankfully I have a sense of humor and can make everyone laugh, so it diffuses it a little bit. But I've let that awkwardness and self-consciousness and insecurity keep me from saying that. Because I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't, uh, I don't want you to think things of me in an unfavorable light. Second thing, though, is the elders are here for your good. They're here to love you. They're here to care for you. And you just heard me say, die for you. Nobody's here for some power play. Nobody's here. I mean, I was minding in my own business. I was quite happy being a stockbroker. I was, you know, making, we were making more money, doing, you know, all that kind of stuff. This isn't, none of the guys are in this because for themselves. We are aware of the warnings on an elder's life. We are aware at the consequences of leading people astray. We are aware that we will be judged with a stricter judgment. We are aware that not a, a, a word that we say will not come under scrutiny. Very aware of that. God's called us to lead. God's called you to follow. Peter is saying this because there will be times where you will no doubt about want to high-five us. Write a little nice note on your communication card. You can go ahead and do that if you haven't done it yet. Or, but there'll be other times, there'll be other times um, where you're not going to be all that excited about an initiative or a decision or a direction. I mean, perspective-wise, I mean, it's impossible. 7,800 people leading them in one singular direction. Somebody's not going to be happy. Um, and what the Bible is saying, the Bible is not saying, you know what, sear your conscience, blindly follow whatever they, that's not it, that's the extreme. But what they are saying is, hey, give them the benefit of the doubt. No one wants you to sear your conscience. To follow. If, you're just, if there's an issue of conscience that would cause you, like, I don't know that I should do that. We would, we would implore you to come talk to us. And let's gain some understanding and figure out what we need to do in that situation. But we would never want to lead people beyond their conscience. And we'd want to spend a lot of time persuading and, and loving and caring and this is what the Bible has to say and patience and grace and space and all of that. But, it, I mean, it's there nonetheless. And your responsibility, my responsibility is to, to lead myself into death. Our responsibility is to lead ourselves into death and in loving and care for you. And the Bible calls you to follow. And then it just kind of helps a little bit. This is, this is more than just for this issue. It says, 
clothe yourselves. Like when you wake up in the morning and you think about what you're going to put on, make sure you put on this, humility. Humility toward one another and toward your leaders, of course. And this is just a huge, big principle in the Bible. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You may have a, a, an opinion, but you may not have perspective. And if you're, if you're thinking like you've got to, like, if you've got a point like in, in you got to make it and, and, you know, God doesn't look down and say, well, look at that guy, man. He's like, he's like going out on his own and he's like um, really, really thinks highly of what he thinks. He really thinks highly of his opinion and he's expressing his opinion. Man, that guy, I'm putting that guy in the front of the line. The Bible says he opposes that guy. Whether he's right or wrong, he opposes him. He gives grace to the humble. So just in terms of like how you play this game called life, Pride is not the position that you want to take. Grace, humility is the, is, the, is the posture you want. And how do you know that that's going to work out for you? Because the one who had all the rights and was perfectly without error in anything he did, in anything he thought, in anything he said, laid all of that aside and took the place of humility. And because he took the place of humility, God did exactly what he said he would do in this passage. Is he gave, he put him to the highest place. We can follow the example of Jesus. That the way, so he took on, he took all the, took, got rid of his rights and took on all the responsibility. Wasn't it, sin wasn't his fault. None of it was his fault, but he took on the responsibility. He took the position of humility, which is what you and I need to take. There's a lot at stake. It's not just about you and I and, you know, what color carpet we like or, you know, what's our favorite time to start group or whatever that is. The most important thing that you and I have is that we are responsible to, to take this message to a hurting and lost world. And if we can't come together in humility and unity and make one loud voice in this city and the cities around us, I mean, we're just spinning our wheels. We're just doing some religious game. We're just, it's not what we're meant to be about. We're meant to be to make disciples of all nations and in a hostile environment, and we need to come together, and we need to, um, to grow in, hum- we all do, of laying down our lives in humility and in sacrifice.